Hello friends, thank you for joining us. Um, before we get into this week's episode, a couple of things to plug at the top. If you want to catch up with me and Stefan doing any stand-up in the next coming weeks, Stefan will be appearing at Tiny Rebel in Cardiff on September the 26th with headline act Tidero, and that should be a fantastic show. Try and get along to that if you can. And I'll be appearing at uh, Swansea Fringe as part of the Swansea Fringe Festival at the Volcano Theatre on Sunday, October the 6th. Uh, tickets are £5. Pounds. Uh, the show starts at 7pm. It's £5 pounds on the door or you can get in free if you've got a festival wristband. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy episode 3 of the Tales from Wales podcast with Kirsten Jones and Boyd Clack. Okay, so we're here with our guests, uh, Boyd Clack and Kirsten Jones. Um, we both know who you are, obviously, but for anyone listening who's not sure, like, introduce yourselves, please. Okay, I'm Kirsten Jones, and um, I'm an actress and a screenwriter, and I write with Boyd. Um, perhaps best known in Wales for writing sitcoms like High Hopes, of which currently is on iPlayer, BBC iPlayer, um, we've got six series and three specials and some documentaries there for anyone who wants to have a look. Um, and Boyd, of course, before that, uh, he can say himself, but he was the co-writer of Satellite City, uh, which uh, people uh, know him in Wales for. Of course, as we're both actors, but I think that's probably a good introduction for myself for this purpose. But yes, I act and direct and I produce occasionally, and I write, but with this chap here, this lovely chap here. Good boy, you write them partner, partner in crime, so to speak. Um, Kirsten, if I'm asking, uh, where, where are you from, if you don't mind me asking, because obviously you're Welsh, but I can't quite put my finger on your accent. What, what sort of part of Wales you come from? Okay, on my father's side, he came from the nor- North Wales, okay. from the Wrexham area, but I was born, actually, I'm afraid, the other side, I was born in Bristol, oh, brought right. up there, um, in North Somerset, and then... I went to London to do my degree in drama and psychology and then I came back to Wales, as it were, which is on my father's side. My mother's, uh, my mother's side is mostly English and um, I came as a postgraduate to uh, the Sherman Theatre, which used to run a course there and that was in theatre studies. So that's really my background as an undergraduate and as a postgraduate and then uh, I came immediately into theatre um, but as a child I was in fact um, uh, brought up on drama from the age of five and so in a way you could say I was a child actress and then but came into it after my mother insisted that I did not go to RADA that I went to to get a degree first and then I came the other route so, so to get to like speak. a solid foundation behind you so get something solid and then pursue your dream sort of thing yes and uh, since the age of well at four I wanted to be a ballet dancer and at five I wanted to be an actress and in a way that's what I I decided my path. So you could say like supportive parenting, but with an element of practicality thrown in yeah. as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, would you say a, a similar sort of um, starting for you as well, Boyd? Because obviously you sort of converged in the same sort of finishing points, but would you say your parents were as supportive as you were choices and aspirations? Um, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I was brought up in Tonnerville. Which of course you drew. I am. I'm a fellow uh, Sort of upper Penrivel is my sort of actual uh, location, but we can. We it is part of Tonnerville as well, good as we, any. We think Penrivel's posh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been there then. Have you? Uh, um, <laughs> but I, I was brought up. I went to Tonnerville Grammar School. Um, I went abroad when I was twenty. Uh, lived abroad for a while. What was that for? Then I went to Australia. I emigrated. Yeah. Um, but I. Uh, I was sort of a, a child of the 60s. It was a hippie, John Revel hippie. Yeah. And there was a world of us. There were some lovely guys and some nice people. It was a pretty good scene. Um, and then uh, I went abroad, lived in Australia, came back, started playing in bands, went to live in Holland, 
came back, went to live in Canada, lived in London for a long time playing music. And then I came back uh, from uh, Canada in 19... Uh, when would that have been? In 1982. And I went to the Welsh College of Music and Drama. Um, I was there for three years, three of the best years of my life. I'd never done any acting before that, so it was... Uh, and I was quite old. I was older than everyone else. Then I came out of there and did a lot of acting, uh, stage acting on televisions and films. And then in the early 90s, uh, I wrote a, a radio play called Satellite City, which is about an American coming to live in basically Tone Revel. And um, that was on radio for several years. Then it was on television for quite a few years as well. And it, it was very popular. It was enormously popular, I'd have to say that. Well, I hope you don't like me saying, um, Boyd, I, I, I used to absolutely love Satellite City. I watched it sort of um, almost religiously. I was only 10 at the time. I used to run home from up being out playing to get home in time to watch it. And cool. a big thing for me about Satellite City and later so High Hopes as well was that there's people on telly who sounded like me. And I thought, this is fun. this is brilliant, you know, because I've always watched comedy, BBC Two, uh, Rick May, Adrian Emerson, all those sort of things. But nobody ever sounded like me. And to hear that, I thought, this is great. And then we'd all try and th- try and work out, oh, which, which village is it meant to be? You know, we'd try and work it out. So you've, you've told me, you know, it's Tom Revel, which is even well, better. I can't you know, it's fantastic. You know, I mean, the characters are basically conglomerations of people that I've known in Tom. I mean, Welsh Valley's type of humour is incredibly good with incredibly funny people. Um... I love the valleys. I yeah. love. Uh, I love. Um, I love Wales. I love the Welsh people. You know, and um, there was a time when we were. I suppose that's the first time ever, really, that English-speaking Welsh valleys people had a voice um, beyond the caricature, and I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people liked it. It was also an era which is horrifically known as Cool Cymru, yeah, and it's sort of the zeitgeist of that, because it had a certain sort of. Um, it's a real quality. Yeah, it's 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 quite a cult TV program, oh, and it's yeah, got like yeah. an, quite an indie sort of feel to it. You know, yes. it's almost television equivalent of these super furry animals. Yes, and, these yes. and for me, it was it was perfect. I was ten, eleven, twelve, and I was like, oh, it's great. You know? Well, it's a really lovely thing, you know. Sometimes now I'll meet someone, say about your age, yeah, and uh, they'll tell me that they used to watch it with their father or something, and mm. and they'd say how much they loved it. Their father get them up out of bed to watch it, especially uh, yeah. and. And maybe their fathers died in the interim period. And they'll come up to me and they'll actually thank me for it yeah, and nice. say that it gave them a great memory of being with their father. Uh, and that really touches me. Yeah, so there were three series of satellites. Was it three series? Two, two, was it three? Two? Three, no, three, three are three special. Oh, right. Besides two the... Special. Um, what's it called? The pilot. The pilot, then the um, television pilot, then the three series. And two and radio Kirsten, from obviously not being from Wales originally, but you sort of settled in Wales to study and and then to act. What sort of kept you in Wales? Do you think? Because Lloyd, uh, Lloyd ah. has mentioned the, the love of the valleys. What, what was it for you? Well, when I came to Cardiff as a postgrad, I then was sort of working away, but I always gravitated back to Cardiff, and I used Cardiff as a base. And in a way, it was like I'd come home because on my father's side, mm. there's the Welsh side. Um, and I worked in Scotland, I worked in Holland, but at a different time to Boyd, funnily enough. And also in our, my career as, a, as an actress um, and on the other side, sometimes I did stage management, sometimes I did some directing and so on. Um, I found that our paths had crossed a number of times, which was, for example, we worked for Moving Being, but at different times, which is a theatre company that's based in Cardiff. Okay. Um, and I, our paths also crossed in 1987 when I was working on a film, and Boyd was the lead actor in it, and I was working on the other side with a, a small... Um, uh, film company that was just had women in it and it was based at Chapter, Chapter okay. Arts yeah, Centre. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so our paths crossed then, but and at different times we worked on different short films or films, etc. And uh, our paths crossed. And then I met him again in nine, just at the beginning of Satellite City, 1996, just the beginning of the first series. Nice. And Boyd 
actually we met again and guess what just a stone's throw from where we are now here in St Mary Street at yeah. the Hayes yeah. yeah just outside St David's Hall there I don't know it's still there a little cafe outdoor cafe yes yes yeah. the Hayes Island the snack Hayes bar. Island snack bar that is where I saw him from across the way and he called waved to me called me over and said do you want a cup of tea <laughs> and so he sat there and we had a cup of tea, and then he invited me to come and see Satellite City, which was going to be broad, um, broadcast, not broadcast, it was going to be filmed nice. the Friday, the following Friday. And then, and from that moment, we weren't separated, we were together. Ah, that's nice, that isn't it? The rest yeah. is history. The like rest is history, yes. That's excellent. And I never thought that I was going to write. It wasn't yeah. in my... Uh, world at well, all. That, I'm glad you segued into that because that's what I was going to ask you next because obviously acting and writing they go hand in hand but they aren't the same thing by any stretch. How did you sort of gravitate towards the writing side of things then? How did you transfer over to that while still to being on stage yourself or being an actor yourself? Um, well there at BBC Wales they had asked for a pilot of High Hopes Yeah. Or they didn't know it was going to be high hopes. And I worked on the pilot um, with Boyd and more or less in development and more or less a little bit of editing. And uh, that was in what year? 1999. And gradually, gradually, over a period of time from the start of the first series, which I think, was it 2001? Was it 2001, darling? Mm. Yeah, 2001. Um, it became writing. Nice. Gradually into 50-50. So the first, the first series, we started, and we didn't look back. And then we worked so well together that it just carried on. And um, Boyd was generous enough to uh, let me have 50% of the right to write. So oh, I think it said fifty percent of the writing. I wasn't sure if it said fifty percent of his salary. Then fifty percent sure. of the yeah, fifty <laughs> percent <laughs> money wise as well. Yeah, yes. that's very nice. Oh yeah, absolutely. Very nice. You have a very big heart and wallet. He's a very big heart. Oh, yes, that's yes. But, um, no, but you know, by the time we done you know six series and uh, you know the specials, I was contributing you know more and more. If it hadn't been fifty fifty, then it wouldn't have been fair. But uh, right, you, know, you, you did a huge <coughs> move there, huge impact on people, you know. Yes. Yeah, so through so those two is, series, he is the master. I shouldn't yes. say that as a woman, but he is the master. He's the mentor, and I, I've learned everything. everything he's tall and handsome him. as well. That helps. So he's your Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> and you're Luke Skywalker, sort of uh, yeah. sort of thing, is it? Um, you said it obviously is because the writing was new for you and perhaps for yourself, but. You, maybe a bit before, is it something that you took to straight away or was it something like to sort of practice and make your mistakes and get better and, and sort of get better through sort of repetition or was it something you just took up and was and was sort of a natural to it? I just took it up, but mm. in a way that uh, my contributions, if you were, if you like, were slightly different from, Bro from Boyd. I would say that I've got a great attention to detail and I'm not saying Boyd doesn't have attention to detail, but I'm very finicky about, you know, very precisely what the dialogue is and how to make make it more succinct and quick repartee like American quick repartee. So if, if you were to look at it and sort of analyse it, some of the scenes that I write are... Uh, have, have less lines in them, shall we say. And um, the, we would write... a. A draft each, and then amalgamate. So 50, taking, 50 all, again. taking all the best bits, nice. taking all the best bits, and then in writing, every scene must have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it must further the story along. Now, some yeah. sitcoms don't have a Purposeful. particular story, but it's very important. You've only got with sitcom, it's thirty minutes. It's mm. actually probably about twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven minutes. Yeah. Um, Every every scene must have a purpose, and if it doesn't push the story along, then it's not worth its salt, and it's got to go. Yeah, so yeah. and and uh, 
so it's very disciplined. It's, it's extremely disciplined. You've got to kill your babies in that sort of way, don't you? That's the, the writing term, isn't it? I'm not saying literally. I'm just saying that, you know, <laughs> even if you like something and if it doesn't work, you've got to get rid of it, don't you? Which is, uh, Absolutely. Even if, it's, even if you think it's great, but if it doesn't do anything, then you have to, it has go. to go. Yeah. So I think that's why our, we complement each other, because uh, would you say that's the case? Yes, yeah, so I would, yeah. You're both fire I'm and ice. Him to Without say that, being no. prompted, would you say? Would you say? <laughs> 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 um, but but that's, so. that's, you know, it's a discipline and it's not always a laugh a minute, but being both actors, yeah. when we start speaking the lines and in our heads after the first series, we it's very character-driven. Mm. So we would... And every line is specific to a character. You should be able to know which character is speaking just by the line itself. Yeah, yes. And because there's so many writers out there where it all sounds the same and you wouldn't know who's speaking. Because they're not differentiated yeah. from their own voice yeah. and the articulate and the characters' So voices. in tryouts, we would, you know, sometimes we'd try it out loud and then you, you know whether it works or not. Yeah, but in in terms of um, yeah. it's it's quite warm in here, boy, isn't it? So don't begrudge it. <laughs> I, I I haven't got a shirt to take off, unfortunately. So I, I made a I made a wardrobe error this morning with this jumper. It's a podcast. It, we it looked cloudy, really, but it's actually yeah. it's actually warm. <laughs> um, so it, it seems as if almost from your writing styles and your approaches to the sitcoms that you're quite efficient with your word usage. But perhaps boy, you perhaps you know a bit more wordy in what you do. I would you say? I, that? I suppose. Uh, I've always written, even when I was a young lad, I used to write poetry, terrible poetry. I'm not saying I've always written well, yeah. but I've always sort of written things down. And I'm a singer-songwriter, and I was for a long time playing in bands and that. And uh, my songs would be sort of, I suppose, literary. Yeah. Um, the first things I started writing were in drama college, which were like very um, avant-garde. And where would this have been? Uh, the Welsh, the Royal Welsh right. College, you know. Uh, it was very avant-garde stuff, um, which people seemed to sort of like. And then um, I did a lot of acting for a while, and then I, uh, I did a play uh, about, satellite, about sat the Satellite City yeah. idea, and someone suggested putting that, uh, that it would be a good sitcom idea. So I worked on that and, um, and gradually learnt the craft. Did they translate quite easily from radio to television? Because they're well, obviously the both... People think of them the same, but they're massively different mediums. But, but, but the, the the thing is, the pilot, the original pilot, there were three shows put up, uh, suggested for a, a series on Radio right. World, and ours was one of them. And it was really different altogether to what people think of as um, Satellite City. It was really, really different. We had talking pegs and things in it, and it was mm. just a totally a talking rat. And it was really a surreal <laughs> sort of thing. You know? But um, by the time the series came, we had adjusted that, and therefore the actual series itself was pretty much as it was on radio, although there were certain episodes that wouldn't translate for some reason. Um, it was uh, a pleasure to do it, particularly for the first two series. Um, the actors in it were absolutely lovely and have remained friends of mine to this day. Isloin, who played Dad, who was one yeah. of the loveliest men you'd ever meet, and a brilliant, brilliant actor. He, he, as my, as my, my, my grandfather would say, oh, he takes a good part. He takes yeah. a good part. Right? Yeah. He, he's fabulous on screen. And yeah. as I said, going back to that, that sound, people sounding like me, you know, that sort of very valleys coming through and everything they said and did and yeah. the way they behaved. And naturally, there's a bit of silliness to it. But I used to watch it. My grandparents would stay on there. And my grandfather said, oh, What's this, you know? He, he said, I'm, I'm glad this is not shown in England because people will think we're silly. And I said, no, it's a shame it's not shown in England, you know, because mm. I've always thought mm. these BBC Wales programmes, they don't often translate to the national sort of stage. A few programmes have recently with, like, um, Hidden and Keeping Faith, I think, but you never really see that. So I always found that a shame, you know, because I felt like we had this, something that other people are missing out on then. Right. Well, funnily, funnily enough, for High Hopes, the pilot did go out... Yeah. Um, 
across the nation. Yeah. I, when I say the nation, I mean Wales and England. England yeah, yeah. And it was picked up in Holland. We have we've had letters from people in Belgium and Holland yeah. as, oh, an nice. e- as an example, Poland. Yeah. You know, to say why isn't this on our screens? And that was just the pilot. So I believe it was only the pilot, and they just clamoured for a series, which they. Uh, you, you know, the BBC was inundated with fan mail and said, can you please make a series? Carry on. Both so them, High Hopes and Satellite City, were offered to be network. Yeah. Uh, and the reasons they weren't were to do with um, what we know as production hell. Yeah. Which means um, personal things between the people at a level above us. Yeah. So just sitting um, But both of them, want, the network wanted both of them. Right, okay. Mm. I think it was um, just at that time when it had been made High Hopes for example in house just BBC Wales production and it was made for the nation of Wales and somehow or other there were people who thought that the, la- that the accent was going to be not translatable it was mm. not going to be understood yeah. and I thought at the time well that's ridiculous yeah. you had Nesbit, mm. yeah. who nobody could understand a word, and they had to have subtitles at the bottom. <laughs> By design or otherwise. It wasn't as strong as that. Uh, and later, of course, there was Father Ted in Ireland. So why on earth they thought that it couldn't translate? In fact, we were interviewed on Radio 4, um, a programme called Keep a Welcome in the Hill... Keep a, keep a Comic Welcome. Welcome in the hillsides, and it was about comedy in general. And they had people on, and they had Boyd and myself on, and they again asked that question. And I said, "Well, the thing is about comedy, is it has universal themes, yeah, and it's all about ours. is all about compassion. It's about a family, even if it is a dysfunctional family. It's a loving family. Nobody gets away with murder. Nobody gets away with." Uh, you know, uh, crime at the end, at the end of each episode. So we did have a kind of um, moral thing, didn't we, that we wanted to make a point, you know, which you can see if you want to see it in each of the episodes, or you can just watch it from pure entertainment. Yeah, Uh, Uh, There was something in the first series of Satellite City, after the first show, it was reviewed in one of the papers, and they didn't like it. And they said about the, the terrible cod Welsh accents, you know, and all the actors were Welsh. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even, even Randy. It yes. was an English reviewer. Yes. Yeah. Well, English reviewer working for a Welsh yeah, paper. Yeah. I think it was a shame, but I think now <laughs> it's almost they it. put it on iPlayer, and you never know because although we've sadly lost um, Bob, Robert Blythe, and we've lost Margaret John, yeah. um, you know, it could. It could still have legs in one form or another, mm. it, or even if it could, it could stand alone with just taking the boys and the police, yeah, um, Sergeant Ball and mm. and um, Claude, and uh, and at the end of the last special, um, Stevie Mayo, who plays um, Hoffman, yeah, joining the police force. So it could stand yeah, alone. Yeah, th- things are full cycle. It could, yeah. you know, it could. And it would still still have the same theme, universal themes. Like you said about sort of, you know, um, Ireland had Father Ted being put on a national scale and the similar with um, Rabsy Nesbitt and other, other Scottish sort of programmes, but not one being done for Wales in, by comparison. Do you think Wales are sort of treated as like the poor relation in that sense? Do you think that's a, an issue and do you think I, it's, I it's changing at all now? I, I don't think Wales are treated that way at no. all. No, I think it's just from us, from our side, that this hasn't happened, rather than... Yeah. As I say, both Satellite City and High Hopes were offered to be networked. You just never never sort of pushed all that sort of hurdle. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But look, 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 look at, like, EastEnders. <laughs> but now everybody can see it on iPlayer. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. People don't want people being happy. T- TV networks don't want anyone happy. Well, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that TV networks are businesses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What's more profitable? And uh, also, they're run by people with egos, mm. um, and uh, people who uh, have sets of agendas which are maybe not universally shared. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, with with both Satellite City and High Hopes, um, along with writing a boy, of course, you 
take a story and roll it in both series. Like the characters Gwyn and um, Sergeant Ball are quite different. Um, how much of yourself did you write and sort of put into that then? That, the character of Gwyn was based upon my brother Brian, <laughs> who was uh, passed away now. Yeah, yeah. But um, he was a, a a lovely guy, but he was very intense, and he was. Um, he was one of these people who's incredibly intelligent and he could have been something mm. in a different lifetime. Mm. And he had a frustration about him that his life was in such a small scale. Yeah. And I think it's a common theme it, in the world in general. I think there are a lot of people like that who, who live just going back and forth to work and yet they have dreams and ambitions and desires which are never fulfilled. Like with Gray's Elegy in a Country Churchyard makes this point beautifully. And uh, Brian, um, Gwyn, is someone who could have been, it's like the uh, Marlon Brando, I could have been a contender, yeah, you know? yeah. but they never get the chance. Um, I think it's, it's sort of a folly almost, to sort of not realise that you can sit by someone in, in any pub in Wales and have a chat to them and you think actually there's a lot more to this this, this person than, than they've perhaps projected or perhaps done like you said you think it's a, a, sometimes a Valley's mentality of there's not much beyond what's around us so. well I, I think it's it is that when I was brought up in the Valleys I mean we thought people from Cardiff were English yeah and I mean that yeah yeah uh, and that's not a, a joke that's that we'd actually thought they were English and we despised them because um, we were really anti-English in the valleys. That's the way it was. That's the mm. way I was brought up. It's obviously wrong. Yeah. Because you know, because well, that's people... the way a lot of people are brought up. Well, yes. Because it goes back know. to the generation before us. Mm. It does. It's steeped within us. You know, it, it goes back a long way. But also, I think um, I was. Most people I know were brought up to believe they couldn't do anything, and that they were useless, and that they would end up being a teacher or working in a bank, or, yeah. you know, if you were sent to secondary modern, you'd worked in the pits or in some factory or something. Pigeonholed from a young age sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, th there wasn't any great sort of, um, you're a wonderful person, you can do something, you know. And yet yeah. we had people there who were sparkling yeah. in yeah. their minds. I, I forget who said this, or excuse me, but someone said the best thing you could do in the valleys is flatten all the mountains and let the young people see there's far more beyond... What, what, what is around them is, is a, a world out there, you know. And you see, it, it's a strange dichotomy because that is absolutely true. Yeah. I left the valleys, went to live in Australia, the best thing I ever did, right? But my childhood and youth growing up in the valleys in the 50s and the 60s is the basis of everything I've ever done in an artistic sense. Yeah. Because as well as being incredibly claustrophobic, it also was like being in a soap opera yeah it was intense you had all human life was there jealousies hatreds passion um were all in this pressure cooker environment madness violence you know it was all there in this strange sort of world where a young um delicate sort of chap like myself yeah. because in those days of course if you were a boy up in the valleys you had to be tough yeah now i was never tough I, it was amazed me when it, I realised for the first time, I was about 16, what it was, what about me uh, there was which didn't fit in, and it was because I was a hippie. Yeah. I wasn't a tough rugby-playing guy. Was I met with a lot of um, sort of pushback then from others being different? or Was, well, it, was, uh, it, was it tolerated or was it... There was some of it, but there was sort of a group of us. Yeah. I wasn't the only one. So it was a fraternity type mentality yeah. and you, you had each other sort of thing. And we, we had some guys who were very artistic. I had a friend named Icky, uh, Richard Evans, and he was incredibly artistic. He was very John Lennon-like, a beautiful painter, a beautiful soul. Now, Icky, he was, uh, he was beaten to death when he was about 22 or something. A car pulled up, people could have killed him, you know. Yeah, um, which is heartbreaking. Mm. Um, I mean, he was a beautiful boy, you know. Yeah. But that is sort of encapsulates in a way the dichotomy of uh, of of that world. And where, where, where did that actually happen? If it's outside the hillside club in Tonnerville, in Tonnerville, you know, on so the, on the on the, pond, on the hill coming down. Yeah, I know, I know it very well. I mean, I've, I've been the been the uh, walking back over it a few times as well. You know, well, it's car a, pulled up. Some yeah, people you're looking like at. That's or? something you think of in uh, 1950s Alabama happening, wouldn't you? You wouldn't yes, think that would happen yes. in on your doorstep. So well, speak, I you would know? say um, that it, maybe I. 
over-exaggerated because I was such a delicate person, yeah. which I was. I was very neurotic, frightened, um, I, you know, I, I, lacking, totally lacking in any form. I was frightened all the time, <laughs> right? All the time I was frightened. But to me, it was incredibly violent, the valleys, in my teens in mm. the 60s. If you go to another um, town or go to a pub, you know, there would be people there who wanted to physically attack you yeah. and seriously hurt you, you know. Uh, you could be walking down the road and somebody would shout something out and if you said anything back, they'd run across the road and kick and punch you unconscious. Yeah. Um, that's the way it was then. I don't know how it is now. Um, I think there's a perception that it is, uh, you know, sort of, oh, it's awful around you, these terrible things happen. But in that line where you just said, my dad will tell me stories from when he was 13, 14, which would have been the 70s then. And I think... Surrenders, you know, it's, it's, it's not like that at all now, you know. But it the perception good. is that it's awful. But if you look back retrospectively, it's a hell of a lot better. He tells me these stories, and I think I, I couldn't couldn't even imagine that happening. It's awful, you know. Things happening in school, people against people bringing knives to school and stuff. I think that's awful, you know. So it's, well, it's quite it's quite shocking by comparison. It it, uh, it was a very um, macho world. Yeah. Um, I knew a lot of my friends worked in the mines and they're lovely boys, you know, good lads. But a part of that world was to drink a lot, mm. to um, get as many women as you could, and to fight. Yeah. Or as they call it these days, work hard, play hard. I suppose that's what you could call it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the, the first two of those I'm okay with. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, third I mean, one is uh, non starter but, uh, for you. And so I grew up frightened, man. I, I, I was frightened to go out in the dark in my 20s as a result of that. Yeah. Even yeah. when I lived in Australia, I was actually afraid to go out after dark, you know? And, so. um, and yet, all that was combined with this memory of these beautiful starlit winter nights yeah. and the beautiful girls in my school and how gorgeous and sexy they were and, and how I could just stare at them unable to speak. Yeah. Well, I remember watching you on um, a short-lived a two-part uh, called Whose Court Is That Jacket that was on about three or four years ago on BBC Wales. Mm. And they would cut to you, Boyd, and you'd do a little sort of off, off a, bit, a bit of soliloquy or a bit of a thing. And you, you referenced uh, missing the last bus home from Porth to Tonner Evel yeah. and it was snowing. Yeah. And I, I, you, you described that perfectly because come a hill. It's, yeah. it's a horrible hill, but yeah. it's a bloody lovely hill as well, you know, because yeah. you can reach the top and, and down to Tonner Evel and you described the snow. And I thought, oh, that's a really picturesque sort of um, image of the valleys, you know, that night time, all the street lamps light in the mountainside, and it was really nice, you know. But there is a great beauty. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Uh, yes. The valleys, people are, you know, lovely people. Mm. I know some beautiful people there. Uh, also, another thing that I would say is that um, the Welsh accent, the valleys accent, doesn't lend itself to um, intellectual consideration. Mm. No, you're right. Had Einstein mm. been Welsh, there would yeah. be no nuclear war. Yeah. Because no one would yeah, have listened to it. Seriously, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you can, you can, he would have been, oh, I'll see you energy. But you know, all right, all right, Albert. He equals MC squared, but... Yeah. <laughs> all right, but get it, have another pint. Girl. You know what I mean? And therefore, I can hear people, we, we could have a conversation at the valley. I've got a lovely, incredibly intelligent, uh, thinking friend. Yeah. Right. Me and the, I don't know, Steve, Steve Dudley is a great mate of mine right now. Steve's a brilliant guy, he's a lovely person, you know. And we talk and we have the most intense, intelligent, witty conversations. And yet somebody listening to me and Steve talking in our Welsh accents, to them it might sound um, trivial and unimportant, yeah. and, you know, as though we're not really of great depth of thought, when in fact we do. And if we were talking in the same conversation in posh accents people would say wow listen to those two guys yeah it's yeah. a pair of intellectuals uh, analyzing something wonderfully well but i think it's nice then to be a bit of a surprise package also you know because yeah. you, you sort of appearances can be deceiving but uh, kirsten would you say you've embraced the valleys in a similar way because obviously high hopes is a very sort of um i couldn't put my finger on where high hopes like i've worked out yeah. with Tom Revel, I couldn't put, would you say you've embraced it in a similar way I think so. I mean, I do think the valleys is... Boyd has described the valleys as you paint... painting in watercolours. Is that, is that mm. your expression? Mm. That the valleys is like painting in watercolours as opposed to oils. Mm. Um, with 
and you know whenever I'm traveling through the valleys I think it's very picturesque it's beautiful and it's just one of those historic things that they didn't really inject monies in the valley, mm. so they became these pockets. Well, it's almost a trickle-down effect, ve- isn't it? The money was at the top, but it didn't, money at the it top, didn't get to the bottom. Money more in Cardiff yeah. or elsewhere, and not really up there. I, mm. was, I was astonished. At one time, I worked um, for a marketing company in the valleys in Aberdeer, and I think I was astonished that that's where the train stopped. Yeah. It was the end of the line. I thought... Well, there's still more track. Why doesn't it go up there? How can you get further, you know, up to Mid Wales, up to Brecon and so on? Mm. And you used to be able to, but then they stopped it. And I thought, well, no wonder. And then when people come to Cardiff and they go to the theatre or they go to, you know, want to come uh, to the city to the, you know, to have a night out, the train stops. The public transport stops and they can't get back. Yeah. And I just think it creates this divide. I mean, there was still this north-south divide yeah. of, of Wales, um, but also Cardiff and the valleys. Yeah. And, um, yes, and I could, he, I, you know, from the characters in High Hopes, you know, you, you get a sense of a third-dimensional character that's the same as everybody but it's just you know they were just situated there with a situation comedy with a sitcom you could place this family anywhere anywhere it could be in the middle of you know brazilian forest or something it they still would talk about the same things the the things that are make us human the human condition it's uh, you know love compassion and um you know what 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 they're interested in it's all the same. And it's the same as whether it's a Yorkshire family mm. or whether it's, um, um, you know, an East End family. Exactly the same things happen. Yeah. Well, one of the great sort of um, uh, pleasures I've enjoyed is going through teenagers to, to my 20s, my 30s, is, is going to different parts of Britain and meeting people and thinking, actually, you're just like I am. Yes. You're no different to me. Yes. You just sound a little bit different. And yes. you like to have something different on your cup tonight. You know, it's, it's, that's, about, that's where the extent yeah, of it really. We all bleed, we all pull the Yeah, exactly. But it, it's really nice doing that. But you mentioned like the sort of the watercolor um, analogy to the yes. to the valleys, and I think that's that's really accurate. Um, I, I had run a, a comedy club in Triorchy, and um, countless times, one of the headline acts or the opening act, I've been running into the pub and said, "I'm awful sorry, I'm late." I had to pull over. It was such a beautiful view coming into this, far, yes, this place. Yes, and it, what yes. a wonderful place. And they had to stop and have a look. And they realised, and they late for the show because they'd been yeah. too busy admiring the view, you know, yes. which is, which is yeah. as, as, nice, as nice a mistake. And nice, yeah. if something's going to go wrong, if you miss it because of the view, I haven't got a problem with that at all. It's, <laughs> it's really nice. But um, beyond writing, uh, High Hopes, Kirsten, you, you've you appeared in a number of episodes as well. Did you sort of, how did you find <clears> acting <throat> in something you've written? Ah, oh. hmm. Interesting question. Good question. I was, I was in episode five, primary colours of the first series. I just had a part of the returning officer because that's a political, yeah. the political episode, and then um, I wasn't in it again until the last special in twenty fifteen, which was uh, "Do Not Go Gentle." Yeah, and uh, playing a Mrs. Danvers character, as in as like like Mrs. Danvers in Rebecca. You know what? The yeah, classic. yeah, I've Um So, what was your question? Your question was um, how, how 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 did you find it? <clears throat> well, for, uh, writing for yourself, almost you know, performing in something that you've written. Because I, I find one thing writing for somebody else, and then I to write for yourself. Can't forget your lines, can you? <laughs> I don't know whether I I I wrote those exact lines. It may have been Boyd. Yeah. In a way, um, it's an amalgamation of both. Mm. Because let me just say this: that it isn't just writing one or two drafts for comedy for Boyd and I we are so you know we hone it hone it hone it you know there may be eight drafts there may be 12 drafts that isn't what the BBC gets as an yeah, example yeah. but we just keep honing so in a way what he has written and what I have written kind of I don't really know now yeah. I know I had more hand in the writing of female characters like Mam. I could hear the way she speaks, so my contribution to the female characters is probably greater than greater than Boyd's. Um, but I don't remember specifically writing for Mrs. Danvers or for yeah. um, the returning officers, and it's a shame that I wasn't in 
other episodes, but, you know, when you're writing, it takes up 24-7. Yeah. And in a way, because I wasn't the main character, you know, right from the very beginning, it would be very difficult to keep different characters coming back. And, of course, we probably worked with over 100, you know, different um, members, different different actors, actors yeah. yeah over a period of time who guest are you know become guest artists well like you just alluded to then you know writing's a 24 7 job and we, we speak into different sort of um uh, content creators on different platforms on this podcast and a number of themes keep recurring and one of those themes is you know it's, it's sort of when you work in creative industries the job doesn't really stop it's not this sort of this doddle and this sort of easy option out you're always working and the more harder you work the more the more sort of progression you make do you find it can be a bit like that sometimes working in sort of writing and acting it's a bit like um is it, is it the, does the job feel like it never ends or is it you can't switch off can't it? switch off from it um i think probably the writing is where you can't switch off yeah. because you're always thinking about improving each scene, mm. each, you, you know. And if you're um, not writing it, you're mentally redrafting it. You're mentally it re- redrafting it. Depends on what what characters you're playing in terms of acting because if it's, um, <clears throat> if it's a, a lead role, well, obviously you're probably thinking about it all the time and you just need to put, you know, almost your whole concentration on that. But if it's like, you know, you're working for a couple of weeks or something and, you know, there's obviously a lot of preparation because you're learning the lines and, mm. you, uh, and, and certainly in television or film, you've got to come with the performance. Yeah. It's not like in stage acting in theatre where you've got the the luxury, shall I say, of three weeks rehearsal where you can develop the character. Yeah. You've got to have already done that in prep before television or before film, yeah. that you come with the, le- the, the lines learnt and the character developed, and then you listen to the director for, you know, different, different uh, directions for uh, bringing out certain things that they want the character to, to show. Um, so it depends on the role. Yeah. It depends on the role, and also, but because writing is so full on, I, I don't think... I couldn't say there's no space for anything else because it's lovely to just, you know, kind of think from a writer's point of view and think from a an actor's point of view or from a director's point of view. And you can switch from one to the other. Yeah. Um, a lot of what we talked about has been quite sort of um, reflective and retrospective and looking back at what what, what you've done and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, what's coming up next for you now? Have you got anything uh, currently you're working on or currently working towards? Um... I'm in a film that's coming out shortly called um, Eternal, Eternal Beauty, where I play a psychiatrist, and that's, I think, a very good film. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, I have some lovely scenes with um, Sally, Sally Hawkins. Hawkins. She's a, okay, yeah. She's a lovely actress. Yeah. Uh, Craig Roberts wrote and directed the film. Yeah. A really good cast, you know. It should be so out looking later forward to this that. year, and, okay. in 2019. And uh, I think... By the end of the year, I'll probably be doing another film, which uh, I'm looking forward to. Um, uh, I've got. Um, uh, I've been writing a stand-up set, which I look forward to um, attempting. It. It's. It's. I, I. Over the years, um, I've thought about it, but I've been watching stand-up on television quite yeah. a lot. You know. So you've never you never tried stand up no. prior to now because um, no. I know you do uh, do live performances on occasions. You, know, you were in Club of Bonds about two years ago, if I remember. Yeah, I because um, and, 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 you sort of fascinated multi sort of different things you can bring to the stage. Oh, but how are you how are you finding approaching stand up? Well, I haven't actually. I'm just done the writing. Okay, but I, I'm I'm relatively confident. As I say, I, I watch the um, stuff on television, and yeah, I I think. Probably the best ten percent of them are good, and the best five percent are brilliant. And then I'd say the other ninety percent are pretty much rubbish. Um, I'm amazed when I watch stand up. <laughs> uh, it stuns me that the audience laughs, and I think to myself, yeah. "What are they laughing about? Why are they laughing?" I'm myself personally, you know, I'm a so Stefan, but I'm quite a stand up snob. Only certain comedians make me laugh, and that's fine because it's like music; it's subjective. Yeah. It's no right or wrong, but for me, it's similarly. 
there's only so many I've got a handful who I like and that's it for me but I, I appreciate it's a subjective mm. thing you know mm. but, um, but I, I, I've come to the conclusion having studied it that audiences who go to see stand-up are people who want to see stand-up yeah now they want to laugh and there are patterns and triggers of the way uh, a stand-up will perform for instance they will say something and it'll come to a point where that is where a punchline is yeah and the audience would laugh at that, whether it's funny or not, because that is the point where you come to the uh, punchline. Stand-ups always ask the most stupid questions of audiences. It amazes me. Um, I, was, uh, I was 30 last week. Anybody here tonight uh, over 30? Yeah. <laughs> you know. oh, this is, uh, it's really amazing. I had a Chinese meal. Did anybody ever had a Chinese? Yeah. These banal, stupid questions. <laughs> and the audience laugh at those banal, stupid questions and respond to them. I, I just think, what's going on here? I actually watch comedians who are an entire set where they don't say one funny thing, mm. nothing. Not something that would make you smile even. And yet they go at the end, they cheer in and off they go and say, great, thank you, uh, Edinburgh, I'm not yeah, being no. here tonight, you know. I'm definitely not going to show you any of them. my set, don't worry. Yeah, I have to take my, que- you know, I take my banal questions out of my set. Uh, you see, banal. I actually quite like the modern style of narrative yeah. comedy. I quite like that. Yeah, it's fun. Mm. But as long as it's good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not just done for the sake of it, you know. But it comes with it's a lot of... It's very subjective, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, oh, de- like, definitely. Just like you were saying, Drew, that, you know, there's only but music five and all that, stand-ups yeah. that you really like. But then even someone I don't like, I can still respect you them. as still... Like Lee Evans, and I'm sure Lee Evans mm. will mind me saying this, I don't find him funny at all. No, but maybe. he is excellent at what he does. So, and that's his personal, personal thing, you know. Yes, yes. I agree with you, that's a nice example. Yeah, mm. yeah. There are others who are not funny and no good at what they do as well, who somehow have achieved a position. Yeah, this is the hype train, isn't it? Anyway, yeah. Boyd yeah. wants to have a go. Yeah, well, if you... Maybe you can find him a little... 100%. Yeah, as long as you promise not to park your car and look at the view of the valley and be late for the gig. But yeah. well, that's the only that. condition. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's leave two hours earlier. It'll be fine. But I tell you what, you know, you mentioned that um, that particular television programme, what was it called? Hang on, what's it called? Coat? Whose coat is that jacket? Is the boy's little story is he has a song out called Last Bus to Porth Call. So, of his albums that we've both produced uh, and some through Music Wales, is um, the first one was called Last Bus to Porth Call, and the second one was called Welsh Bitter, and the third one is called Labour of Love, which is all. Boyd's work because he's written hundreds of songs yeah. of different genres. Some are punk rock, some are rock punk, some are folk, some are um, what would you say um, European? I say jazz. No, not jazz, <laughs> but um, some are, some are kind of poppy. Yeah. You know, um, you what, what's unusual about Boyd's albums is that you hear say three, and you think you've got it. You know what mm. his genre is, but you you haven't because as you go on, they're all totally different. Yeah, they shouldn't be in a, in a genre. I think music is music. Yeah. If it comes from one brain, it can be in well, whatever I, genre it wants to. I wouldn't expect anything less, but you know, someone who's sort of been, been, been to all these different far-flung parts of the world, and you know, I wouldn't expect anything lesser than a, a, a mishmash of genres. And uh, Well, a mishmash of genres is right, because that's what you've got to do, and you've got to mix things up. Yeah. Like, um, for instance... Um, came from just outside Colwyn Bay for the day. That sausage, egg and chips and a greasy spoon, he complained to the waitress, hey, I haven't got a spoon, she said, hey, Dave, <laughs> take a walk along Deeside, use a knife and fork, you hey, take a walk along Deeside. Geraint Jones was thicker than thick fog. His IQ was four points lower than his dog. He went to the leisure centre, but they would not let him enter. They said, hey, Geraint, take a walk along D-side. Learn to read and write. Hey, Geraint, take a walk. And the fifth and attractive to two girls sing. They sing, do, 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 do. Genre, yeah, if, uh, if if Lou Reed was was Rob the Valley, is yeah. it superb? Well, guys, this has been. Did you just make that up, Boyd? 
No, it's a part of my stand-up. Oh, you could. Ah, oh, you could. You, 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 could you could have run with that. Then. Well, this this, is, this <laughs> has been an absolute pleasure, it's both of you. Um, I just want to say about comedy. Can mm-hmm. I say something? Of course you can. Yeah. Um, I think that traditional sitcom will come back. I think it's coming back. Yeah. I look at what's on Freeview, for mm-hmm. example, and you've got sitcoms that are classics that were 40 years ago. Yeah. You know, as time goes by. Um, the Good college, Life. The Good the Life. The Good Life. Um, even George and Mildred and Dad's Army and so on. And people are watching them and they're just going round and round. And I think we're in times of adversity. Mm. People want to have a laugh. And they're the classics. I think sometimes some of the stuff that's being made now is like it won't last five minutes and it's forgotten. I say bring back <laughs> spitting image. Yeah. I love spitting image. Yeah. That's great. There's different forms. Yeah. yeah, they're different forms. But spitting, but I'm image, yeah. spitting image would fill a, fill a gap, I think. At the I really, moment, really like Fleabag. That's oh, been, think, yeah, yeah, my wife watched watch, watch it. Uh, I, sec- I only saw the second series, Phoebe. but I thought that girl is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Very talented. Well, as I as I said, this has been an absolute pleasure. We really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you um, for inviting us. No really nice to meet you guys. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank and you. good luck with everything you've got coming up, and especially good luck with the stand-up, boy. Do you want to have a little chat about <laughs> it? We I, 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 funnily enough, I went to I was at the doctor's last week, and uh, I've got something on my shoulder, and he uh, he said that uh, I'm going to have to have keyhole surgery in it. Mm. But I said no way. I mean, if someone's going to operate on me, I at least want them to be in the same bloody room. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Paul. This has been lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There we are then. That was the Tales from Wales podcast. Uh, good guests there, Boyd Clark and Kirsten Jones. I wasn't speaking much during that because I was just enjoying the stories. Very interesting people, very interesting people. Uh, Please find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public and Pocket Casts. Um, Yeah, yeah, if you want to see us perform, either me or Drew, I know that Drew's got a a show on at Swansea Fringe. That's his solo hour of Taming of the Drew. It's on October the 6th at the Volcano Theatre. It's £5 on the door if you don't already have a festival wristband. But yeah, but thanks very much for listening and uh, yeah, have a lovely, good, brilliant, fantastic day. Really?